The scripture for today is Genesis 28, 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and, you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, do you want me to keep this contraption on? No? Okay. All right. Excellent. So, good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, uh, we are, as uh, Lee mentioned, it's uh, our Westminster Presbyterian pulpit swap. So that's just something we build into our structure so that uh, all the pastors deliberately swap and preach at each other's churches. Though that happens kind of, you know, incidentally along the way just because it's a good idea. But we have a kind of a, a habit that we do it twice a year to make sure we don't forget. And uh, uh, one of the things is that God has uh, blessed us with more pastors than churches at the moment. And so not everybody has to go somewhere for every church to be covered, and so Lee's uh, able to be here this morning, and uh, next half of the year, I think Lee is coming to Three Crosses, and I don't have to go anywhere. So I think that'll be Lee and my first chance to hear each other preach, uh, which is lovely. Hopefully it'll be okay for you as well. Um, about five years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, took our kids to visit a family we'd met through school, and uh, our youngest was a baby, still in nappies. And at some point in the, uh, you know, proceedings, the time came when uh, the child needed a nappy change. And so not wanting to, you know, impose, uh, my wife Cheryl just sort of grabbed her and said, oh, you know, just pointed to what seemed like the nearest convenient room. I'm just going to go and change the nappy in here. And our hostess kind of reflexively said, no, I pray in there. <laughs> now... Uh, it doesn't really matter what religion this person's a part of, but, but my wife and I certainly don't have that kind of 
uh, religious feeling about any space in our house, but we, we understood straight away what she meant. And so Cheryl did not go and change the nappy in there, but kind of said, oh, okay, stand still and ask politely, where would you like me to go? Okay. So, so uh, while pe different people have different kind of experiences and feelings about uh, special spiritual places, um, it's, it's, I think a, the basic idea is easy to understand. In fact, I was reading just in the newspaper uh, a few weeks ago, uh, someone was being interviewed, a university student was being interviewed uh, about the practice on uh, university campuses of some Christians walking around and asking if they can talk to people about Jesus. And this uh, particular student, uh, who was not a Christian from what I remember, was saying they felt that a university campus was a special space where it's not appropriate to talk about religious things. So that was an example of a unreligious sacred space. A place that was sacred, not because it was spiritual, but a sacred place because it was supposed to be protected from being spiritual. And, uh, I mean, if you think about it, it's a, a normal part of being a human being. We're kind of creatures of habit. And so if we uh, have particular experiences or we do particular things in a particular place, uh, that place starts to have that significance for us. It could be good or bad. So, for example, uh, perhaps uh, when you were a child, you had uh, maybe one flavour of experience on the rare occasions when you went to the principal's office. They could have been good experiences or negative experiences, but, you know, if you always got sent to the principal's office because you were in trouble, then walking into the principal's office probably felt bad, even if you were sent there for another reason. And if you always had positive experiences of going to the principal's office, to be commended perhaps, uh, then just walking into the principal's office would probably feel good uh, even if the reason you were set on a particular occasion might be bad. So I think this issue is easy to understand and it's important to get our head around because the Bible talks about it. So our Bible reading today talks about uh, Jacob being surprised by uh, a place. Particularly, he's surprised to find God in Luz. Uh, so, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 28, you can read in your own Bible or follow in the order of service, whichever you prefer. Uh, in Genesis chapter 28, uh, verse 16, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. It's that experience of going, oh my goodness, I didn't know this was a special place. He's afraid. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. You know, he says, how awesome is this place? He kind of gets this sense of awe of, oh my goodness, this place is special and amazing and I didn't realise it. I think uh, today... Uh, people can still be very surprised to find God in different places. Uh, so, I was at a training course last year where we were being encouraged to take God's Word wherever there were people and not to think a particular place, you know, is somewhere God can't go. And the person leading the training gave an example of a friend of theirs who had led a Bible study for a period of time in a brothel. 
and that had the desired effect. Quite a lot of people in the group seemed surprised about that. Why are they surprised? Now look, it would be surprising if I led a Bible study in a brothel because of my personal history of sin. That would be a terribly foolish idea. There are good reasons why I'm not going to go into a brothel, but there's no good reason God can't go into a brothel. God is the creator of the whole world. It's all His. He's interested in everything and everyone. Uh, you, would you be surprised to find God in particular places? How do you feel about the places that you go day by day and week by week? Would you be surprised to find God in any of those places? Well, here is Jacob just going about his business and he's surprised to find God in this place. And why is God in this place? That's the really critical question. Has he just accidentally walked into a special place? That's kind of the way he describes it. Right? Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Right? So what it's saying is, he was on his way on a journey, and when it got dark, he stopped. So it was the place he happened to be. It was just the place he happened to be. And then what happens? Uh, taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So why did God say that to Jacob. In fact, how do you even know it's God and not just some crazy dream? Well, when you zoom back and look at the story of the book of Genesis, uh, this is not just something out of the blue, right? God has created people to be in a relationship with him. He created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden so they could have this beautiful place to have as their home, to look after it, to enjoy its fruit and to be with God. God went walking in the garden and talking with them. But they rebelled against God and decide to do things their own way instead of God's way. And so that meant, well, they couldn't stay in God's place anymore. So they got kicked out, and uh, the result was they not only left that place, more importantly, they, were, they lost that relationship with God, with all that it entailed, and so that means they eventually die. So as the world fills with people, this pattern continues. Uh, people now all inevitably choose to do what Adam and Eve chose to do and remain out of relationship with God in a place that God's created but it doesn't feel like a place where God is because our relationship with God is broken but God doesn't leave it like that he calls Abram who he renames Abraham and promises him that through him he's going to restore his blessing to the world particularly through a, through a descendant 
he's going to restore his blessings to the world, but he's going to start doing that with Abram. He's going to be Abram's God. Abraham's going to be his guy. He's going to bless him. Abraham needs to trust him. And so uh, Abraham has a son, Isaac, and that promise is passed on to Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And this is where there's a bit of kind of uh, drama about how is this promise going to be passed on. And so uh, someone has predicted, has made a prophecy, that Jacob, despite being the younger son, that he's going to be the one that the promise is passed on to. And so when you get to this point in the story, this is God turning up and saying, yep, that prediction was right. I'm passing on this promise to Jacob. Well, there's two things to notice about that. Uh, The first one is, uh, Jacob has not really done the best kind of approach to wanting, you know, showing that he's sincere in wanting that kind of thing. What he's done at his mother's instigation is he has tricked his father into giving his blessing to Jacob. So uh, Isaac uh, has uh, intended to give his blessing to his oldest son Esau, uh, expecting God to pass the promise on, the family promise, down to Esau. And uh, Jacob's mum, you know, Isaac's wife, uh, she thinks Jacob is better. Jacob's her favourite. And so she gets Jacob into a scheme to deceive Isaac, who's, you know, losing his sight, into blessing Jacob instead. And so when that all comes out, Esau's ropeable. Uh, Isaac's pretty angry. Uh, And so Rachel says, look, the best thing would be for you just to get out of town for a while. That's the journey that Jacob's on. When he's just got embroiled in this deception within his family. That's not how the family that's supposed to be sharing God's blessing with the world is supposed to be behaving. And he's at the very centre of it. And there's no sign that he's got any regrets or he's going to do anything about it. He's just running away. And at that moment, God appears to him in a dream and says, you are the one I'm continuing my promise through. Why? It's not because there's anything particularly special about Jacob in himself. There's nothing particularly special about the place where he is. It's just that God has promised to do this. This promise that uh, God specifically says, it's because of the promise I made to your grandfather. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. That's his dad. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. That's the promise he gave to Abraham. Abraham left his home country, his special place, and went to the place God told him. And God said, I'm going to give you this place to be an inheritance for your descendants. They will become a great nation. They'll be my people and through them, I'm going to restore blessing to the whole world. I'm going to make this a special place because I've chosen to make you a special person in order to make the whole place, the whole world, my special place again. That was the plan. And so once you figure out that's what's going on, Jacob's response here seems a little bit weird. See, when God says to him, I'll give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying, he's not talking about Luz. He's not talking about this spot where he's got the rock. He's saying, the land of Israel with these borders that I've promised to your grandfather. I'm still going with that. That's what he's saying. I'm going to do that through you. 
Uh, you can tell that because he says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. He's not saying this little campsite's a special place. He's saying my plan for this region and to bring, a, to, to bring about a nation who inhabits this region that they can spread my glory to the whole world and share it with everybody, that's still the plan and I'm doing that through you. That's what he's saying. So what do you do as God when the guy you want to work through to spread your glory starting at this region is leaving the region? What do you do? Do you abandon him and get someone else? No. He says, verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Right? The big shock in Jacob's dream is that God is saying, okay, I'm still planning to make this region a special place in order to reclaim the whole world as a special place and I'm still going to do this through you even though you're leaving like a coward and a liar. That's the amazing thing. And look what Jacob says in response. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Well, sort of, but he's also pretty much missing the point. I mean, he doesn't completely miss the point. He, he gets that God is saying he's going to be with him. Down in verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So on one hand, he does get it. God has promised to be with him. He's saying, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, then, yep, you'll be my God, I'll be your guy. But what's the deal with him saying, when I come back, then I'll worship you? If God's going with him, he should be giving him a tenth while he's out there and worshiping. And the, 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 the thing that happens immediately after this is he goes to the, the you know, foreign land where his uh, uncle and cousins and everything are living, and the first young woman he sees, he falls head over heels, hopelessly in love with. Because he's out here on his own and he desperately needs a companion. I mean, the text doesn't say he desperately needs a companion, but he behaves like an idiot. He's supposed to know that God is with him and he doesn't need to resort to that. I mean, Rachel's probably a lovely lady, right? But, but you, don't, you don't get into an unhealthy relationship because you're desperate for companionship if you've already got the best companion in the world with you. Right, God is, God is saying he's going to be like Olaf's personal flurry. I know I need to explain that for some of you. The rest of you who have laughed can just hold on. So, in the, in the Frozen story, if you haven't seen that movie, popular with small children, that's why I've seen it, though it is very good. Anyway, uh, there's this uh, queen with magical ice powers, freezing powers, who accidentally creates an endless winter. And uh, she also creates this talking snowman who likes warm hugs. And uh, Olaf is his name. And so he's, he's clearly a good guy. He's one of the, the, the just, he's just a good guy in the movie and there's no confusion about that. Uh, and so he helps to save the day. 
and, uh, you know, bring back summer. The obvious problem with that is he's a snowman. And so the guy who's involved intimately in saving the day and bringing back summer can't survive summer. But then he gets his own personal flurry, which is kind of like a miniature snowstorm that just follows him around wherever he walks. And so he's able to, you know, continue being him, a snowman. Right, God is telling Jacob, I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, you've got your own special place, your own promised land, your own sacred space with you. That's what God is promising Jacob. It is amazing and uh, Jacob relegates it to second place. He wants to, what he mainly wants to do is commemorate the place where God tells him the place is not the point. You see the irony? I mean, it's fine to do, it's fine to have a commemoration place because that reminds you of things. But he's not focused on the main thing, it seems to me. The thing that's really exciting about this is that Jesus says he comes and fulfills this. In John chapter 1, right, when he calls, is it Andrew to him? And uh, Andrew says, you know, and he says, you know, here's a man in whom there's no deceit, right, unlike Jacob. Uh, and he says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the tree. And he says, oh my goodness, that, that means you're the king, you're God's king. And Jesus says, you think that's impressive? Jesus puts it much less you know, silly than this. But Jesus says, you know, you're going to see much greater things than that. You'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, the angels of God ascending and descending on something, that's what Jacob saw. But Jesus says, it's not going to be some particular place that you're going to get excited about. It will be on the Son of Man. In other words, that's Jesus' favourite way of referring to himself. It's on Jesus that you'll see God connecting to earth. It's in Jesus that you see God reconnecting the whole world with himself. So a couple of laters, uh, a few chapters later, when uh, John is telling us about the night before uh, Jesus uh, is betrayed and killed, uh, uh, Jesus describes himself as, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right? It's Jesus is where heaven and earth connect. It's through Jesus that God is bringing the whole world back into connection with himself. Do you remember the conversation Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well? Where she says, how can you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. And Jesus just asked her for some, some water to drink. And she wants to get into this kind of religious debate and says, well, you know, you Jews say we need to worship in, in uh, Jerusalem. We Samaritans believe we should worship here in, you know, Jacob's special place. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and is now come when the true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He's the connection that allows us to have a relationship with God, to worship Him, to enjoy Him. It's not about having a, a special place. And so God's promise to Jacob to be with him wherever he goes, that he will have his own, anywhere he goes is a sacred place because he's God's person. If you're trusting in Jesus, that applies to you. 
Wherever you go, God is with you. What about if you don't believe in Jesus yet? What if you think, look, if you knew what my if you knew where I lived, where I worked, that there's no way I can be a person who encounters God. Well, if you need proof, let me just point out, you are here this morning. Now, you might say this isn't a special place because God can be anywhere. Well, if you think your place is a special place that excludes God, then you've got to let this be a special place where God is. So decide either way. Maybe you are here so that you can hear that God loves you and has promised to bring the whole world back into connection with himself so that you can get connected with God and he will go with you back to those other places. Maybe it's your job to take God to those places where you think he shouldn't be. I mean, what is a special religious place anyway? Whether it's a Christian place, some other religious place, even a secular place. When people say this is a secular place, religion isn't welcome here, what are they talking about? They're saying this is a place where we seek guidance and power. Now, that's easy to see in a temple. When somebody goes to visit some temple, what are they doing? They're usually either asking for guidance about what to do about something or for the god or the gods to do something themselves about their concern. They're seeking guidance and power. When someone says this is a secular place, religion is not appropriate here, what do they mean? They mean we've got to make some decisions about things and we don't think religion should be involved in that, we want guidance, or we've got to try and make the world a better place and we think religion gets in the way of that, we want power. That's what people want in sacred spaces. Where do you need to go to truly find guidance and power? Reliable guidance, ultimate power. There's only one place. That's Jesus. And if you know him, well, he's with you everywhere. You don't need to go somewhere else to get his attention. You don't need to go somewhere else for him to answer your prayers. You don't need to go somewhere else for him to give you the wisdom he promises to give. He's with you everywhere. So how do you feel about the normal places you go day by day? If you're a person who's trusting Jesus and you go there, that is a place that God goes. Don't be like Jacob and be surprised. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not given up on our world, but you are determined to have it as you created it to be. A place that shows your glory and where you are enjoyed and celebrated and known. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to bring us back into your family so that we can know you personally, so that we can know your guidance, so that we can know that you are powerfully at work in our lives and in our world. Father, wherever uh, we go and wherever you send us, help us to remember that you go with us. Amen.